the remaining wings that we didn't already discuss, and, and the big men on the team, Alex. Yeah, so plenty of discussion. We got some talk about Kevin Knox. We got some talk about R.J. Barrett. We got some talk about Iggy Brasdakis, who maybe is a, a dark horse to be on this team for a long time. Uh, then, of course, talk about Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson and all the rest of those guys. So all that's coming up and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Kevin and one. As Fisdale pumps his fist. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives. All right, uh, how about we move on to the uh, shooting guard position? Uh, so you have uh, Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington, Damian Dotson, Alonzo Trier. Um, I, I almost think we should talk about R.J. Barrett with the small forwards because I'm, I'm in total agreement with you that I, I think that's where he's going to be going yeah, we forward. Could just do, we could just do wings in general. Yeah, and just sure. Add, All right. Just add, uh, add R.J. into the discussion and, I guess, Knox because really – there's not, and Morris, I guess you could also put in that category. It's kind of difficult because there's, the, the Knicks have players, I think, that are weirdly like, they have a number of guys that are like two threes, you know, they're like shooting guard small forwards, and then they have a number of guys that are like three fours, like, you know, small forward, power forward. It's, it's kind of weird, and like you almost have, I don't know how you split them up. I guess we could like split them into wings and then like tweeners. And then bigs, I guess, like true bigs, if we want to do it that way. But, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing to try to split up in this whole, like, positionless era. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little crazy. We'll, we'll do all the wings at once. It's a Thursday afternoon. Let's go for it. Um, okay. So we can – I mean, I think this conversation probably has to start then with R.J. Barrett because he's, he's sort of the one guy that is definitively part of the Knicks' future – and I'm just – I'm so intrigued to see how he finishes out the rest of the season. Because I, I thought in a lot of ways Mike Miller was going to be better for him than anyone else in, in terms of uh, playing with a lot of spacing and more shooters and an offense that gets him on the move and allows him to get easy buckets without simply going one-on-one off of like maybe like generating switches off the ball and like quick hitters off of post-ups against smaller guys. And we've seen bits and pieces of that, but he certainly hasn't been the centerpiece of the offense in the same way that Marcus Morris and Julius Randle are, though obviously he, he got a chance to do some of that last night and wasn't very efficient with it against one of the better defenses in the NBA. But I, I, I guess I just want to see if that can change going forward and if kind of similar to Kevin Knox last year, if if he's going to completely fall off after a hot start or if he can sort of rediscover his stroke and refine everything and get it all together. So I'm, how do you feel about RJ going forward and his recent drop off? And to me, Alex, at least like the thing that stands out the most is like, he's really, really stopped like picking up assists. Like he was early in the season where he looked like one of the better passing non point guards in the NBA. Yeah. It doesn't worry me too much though, because I think a lot of that has to do with role at this point. It seems like Miller has him in more of a, a traditional shooting guard role or like traditional wing player role where he's he's getting the ball where he's he's pretty much just being put in places to score rather than earlier in the season he had those high assist totals because Fisdale 
and I mean, I would actually say this is one of the smart things that Fisdale did. Um, in many ways, Fisdale had him playing point guard and, you know, running the offense for long stretches of time. And of course that led to more assists. I, I actually think there's a case to be made, you know, maybe we could even talk about RJ potentially getting soaking up some point guard minutes or at least point guard type minutes uh, for the rest of the season. You know, it, when we were just talking about the rotations, you know, if, if you're just kind of left with Frank and Kadeem Allen, maybe you could start giving RJ some point guard minutes again, because I do think that he was at least on offense, really playing that position pretty well earlier this year. But like right now, I'm, the drop-off in assists per game doesn't really bother me too much because I think that's just kind of how Miller wants to play him. I think Miller right now is trying to, you know, in large part uh, rebuild him, you know, into and fix his offense, you know, because his offense had fallen off so much. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. It's like focus on one thing at a time. Don't worry about being a distributor because we really just need you to shoot the ball and start doing it efficiently again. But as far as the overall for him, I if it was so like if it was Kevin Knox, for example, you know, like you just invoked Knox a minute ago. If it was Kevin Knox and and what's happening to RJ now was happening, which it did actually almost to a T. Uh, you know, there's a lot of parallels between their their two rookie seasons. I, I can remember being more worried about Knox because with Knox, there was always questions about his motor and his defense and this and that and the other. And with RJ, I'm not as worried because RJ is at least still providing at least passable defense, which is all you can really ask. Um, and he's, I know just from everything from before the draft and from this offseason and from, you know, reports that come out from the team, you know, from different players on the team and stuff like that, that RJ's never going to stop working towards getting better. So I'm pretty well convinced that, like, his shot will come around, and it's it's not going to be an if, it's going to be a when. And I think it's just a matter of being patient with it. But clearly the kid has all the tools, and I think, I don't know, there was a point at the beginning of the season where I was like, oh, I think he could be a you know, like a number one option star on a team. I don't know if I'm quite that bullish on that at this point, and maybe I'm now more thinking along the lines of, like, I could see him being a secondary star on a really good team once he kind of matures. Uh, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and if he's a star at all, you know, even if it's a secondary star, that's still a win for the Knicks because that's never a guarantee, even in the top three of the draft. So... I guess we'll see where time takes us with RJ, but I have pretty good confidence in him going forward. And I, you know, as I just alluded to, I I do think one thing that'll kind of help his development in some ways will be, I think that at some point you need to get, you need to move him to the three and put a better shooter at the two, I think. And that'll start to unlock RJ a little more as well. Yep. Um, I'm in total agreement. All right, let, let's kind of go through the, the rest of the groupies. It's it's an interesting mix of guys that I, I think are are along for the Knicks and, and maybe even a greater majority that will likely be gone by the end of the year. And, and I think uh, some that we could talk significantly less about on an individual basis. <laughs> yeah, um, Marcus Morris. I was going to say we can we could pretty much skip because we just did a pretty much a full episode 
on on his future with the Knicks. Um, all all, all I want to say is, and I, I said this before, and I'll I'll reiterate it. Like I, I'm not opposed to him being on the team for the next four or five years. I think he has a game that's like really well built to age incredibly well in into his 30s I mean a really high level shooter at this point someone who gets by more on strength than quickness and and skill than overall athletic ability so I, I could see him like at age 35 like not being like a demonstrably worse player than he is right now like obviously he's probably at his peak this season and like if you're the Knicks like um when when the time comes to extend him uh, you don't want to have to offer a, a, an absurd number, but I, I think given the fact that he has one more year on his contract after this one, I believe with a team option, um, the Knicks are in, are in pretty good position to keep him for a reasonable number if and when that time comes. And, and again, you get the right pick for him. You get the right asset. I'm not opposed to trading him. I'm really intrigued to see what the market is going to be for him going forward, but I, I'm really not opposed to him being a long-term piece on this Knicks team. And, he, and he's one of those few guys, when you go across the roster, you say, all right, I could see him playing a significant role when this team is a playoff uh, perennial playoff squad and, and maybe even more than that. So I'm, I'm okay moving on from him with that. Uh, Kevin Knox, a guy we also talked a little bit about yesterday. Um, I, I know um, I've seen guys like Jonathan Macri kind of go on Twitter and defend him and say, look, like I know the last few games have been really bad. I'm not all that worried. Uh, Alex, I, I guess I don't think we really got your like long-term thoughts on, on what Knox's future is and how they've been affected by his recent play you you tend to be a little bit more bullish on him than me at least recently because at one point I was really high on him uh what, what what's sort of the latest for you uh, on what you think his long-term positioning is with the team I mean I think that I think he's worth seeing out certainly you know, like seeing through his rookie contract like don't sell him for pennies on the dollar right now I see so many people being like trade him trade him like trade him for a real player and it's like okay what quote-unquote real player are you going to get for Kevin Knox right now? Like, are you serious? Like, the kid's shooting awful. Like, he hasn't been able to hit anything in, like, a month. You know, there's his trade value is, like, below the basement at this point. It's, like, in the bedrock right now. There's no point in trading him or trying to move on from him in any way right now. It, the thing that you just have to be right now is just patient and hope that he starts putting it together. Uh, I do think... I think he could use some time in the G League. I've fully come around on that at this point. I don't I don't think there's any point in continuing to throw him out on the on an NBA floor, you know, look at last night's game for example. He went out there and in 29 minutes shot 2 of 10, 0 of 5 from 3. Um he only scored 6 points. He was just in general not looking very confident at all. Uh, and he was even worse in the Laker game, if I remember right. He was like 0-4 from the free throw line. Um, he shot like 0-2 from three and scored all of like two points or something like that. And, and, you know, I just, I think that there's a case to be made that he's kind of that perfect type of player, a la like a Tim Hardaway Jr., who went to the Hawks and then got sent to the G league, which kind of gave him the kick in the ass he needed to come back up and become, you know, a contributing player. I think Knox is the same type of guy where it's like, you question his focus, you question his defense, you question all these different things and his percentages leave a ton to be desired. And it's like, okay, maybe he would do best getting a, a reality check and getting sent to the G league and realizing like, you're not above this. Like you, I, I don't care where you were drafted or, 
what, like, you're playing bad, you need to figure your shit out. And then two, you know, I think maybe he could get the confidence boost that he needs by playing against inferior competition and getting a place where he can really experiment on things and, you know, get himself right in my favorite Fizdaleism that will yeah. never die. It's about the only it's about the only thing that I liked out of the Fizdale tenure. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna get Kevin Knox right, send him to the G League. I, I think that might just be the way to go. Um I also think long term you gotta start looking at him as a four instead of a three, because I think I think he just has too many lapses uh, as, you know, defending threes that he's always gonna get burned on the perimeter by fellow small forwards, you know, and those type of players. Uh, for the love of God, never, ever play him again as the nominal two on the floor either because that was a Fisdale special right before he got canned. And I even saw Mike Miller do it one time where he had knocks out there's what you could only call the two-man on the floor. Uh, never, ever do that again. That's not Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox needs to move down a position, not up a position. Um and should pretty much just be playing at the four, I think, from now on. How you accomplish that, I guess, would be you're going to have to start, you know, it's going to be after some trades happen. If you do trade Marcus Morris, which, you know, I've said I'm in favor of just from a business perspective and an asset management perspective to potentially get that extra first-round pick for him. If that happens, if you trade Bobby Portis as well, which has been rumored, and I'm sure we'll talk about him in just a minute as well, but, you know, if you start making those sort of moves – then that frees up time for Kevin Knox to potentially back up like Julius Randle, you know, off the bench or whatever. And I think that Knox has shown enough defending fours. He has quick hands, you know, poking the ball away and stripping bigger guys like that. He's built, I think, enough of a strength base to keep up with most of the fours at this point. He rebounds surprisingly well, uh, you know, for a guy of his general build. And I think that, he also occasionally flashes that shot blocking ability uh, that I, I think could be better served by keeping him closer to the paint at all times than, you know, when he's constantly around the perimeter guarding three men. And then on offense, his role doesn't really have to change at all. Um, hopefully, you know, you maybe even get him in some situations where he can start setting screens at the top and, you know, just kind of fading back for a pick and pop and, you know, get him into a rhythm from three that way because that's easy catch and shoot money right there. But I, you know, I think there's just better ways to use him and hopefully, hopefully Mike Miller, you know, starts experimenting with those ways soon. He's, he already has thrown knocks out there at the four once or twice. And I think those are the times that he's looked almost okay. But I, I think that's the way to invest in him long term. And I, I do think it is worth investing in him and not giving up on him so soon, but, you know, also tempering your expectations. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I have a sneaking suspicion he, he's a bust. I mean, I just, we haven't, I, I, I thought early in the season we really saw some meaningful development for him with him playing with a lot more urgency and, and, and some of the passing stuff that he flashed and his shooting being a lot better. But, I mean, he, he's just completely, completely fallen off from a confidence perspective. And I really thought Miller coming in was going to give him a new lease on life and not, not even because of anything brilliant tactically that Miller was doing, but more so just playing for a new coach and one who's used to working with developmental prospects. And I mean, you can argue, even though the Knicks have gone the other way and been a lot better under Miller. I mean, that, I mean, firing your head coach sort of being a single that like, Hey, we're, we're okay with this year 
being somewhat of a failure in terms of whatever the internal goal was to be more competitive or making the playoffs. And and, and maybe in that sense, it's backfired on Knox a little bit that the Knicks have been so good and he hasn't gotten big consistent minutes. But last night, I mean, he had an ideal opportunity. He, he got a, a heck of a run, 29 minutes, and he completely failed to take advantage of it. Six points on two of 10 shooting, couldn't hit a three again, uh, no assists, no steals, no blocks. I just, I don't see a whole lot there. When his rookie year, there were flashes that as, as a 19 year old looked really, really good. You gotta keep adding to it and it has to be a sort of linear progression, even if that's not what always happens in the NBA. I think more often than not, it's a bad sign when it isn't. And, and right now it's not for Knox. So I, again, like you, I don't see any point in trading him now. I mean, this is the lowest his value will ever be. I think the Knicks should clearly play out the life of his contract with the team, see if there's anything there before giving up on him. And inevitably, I know if the Knicks do give him up, he'll go to another team and they'll turn him into something. But as far as my expectations of him being a star, which, I mean, I'm I'm fully ready to admit it, I, I completely thought he was going to be early last year. I, I'm, I'm kind of off that. And it, it sucks, and I'm sad about it, and maybe I'm overreacting to what's still a relatively small sample size. And clearly, a guy who doesn't have his confidence yet but I, I just, I really, I, I don't see it right now. And I was, I was just hoping that there'd be some sign, and there really isn't to me. Yeah, and the biggest thing too with you know the confidence level in him is that you know we went we went through kind of the same thing with Frank with you know having to reckon with like oh what's what's everything going to be with him blah, blah blah. But you could always say like well at least he's always going to be a great defensive player. With Knox, he doesn't have that defense at all. So it's like. If he can't figure out the offense, then yeah, he's a bust. Like, cause he's never going to be a plus defender. Like he's at best going to be a, you know, a, a neutral defender and you would want him to be a plus on offense. But I guess we'll see with him. It is still early to tell though. He is still only 20 years old. So it's, it's definitely, and he's a young 20. You know, he's not going to turn 21 until this August. You know, he always turns a new age right before the start of the next season. So it's, it's definitely worth waiting on him. All right, we're going to take our first break, but first, just a reminder, today's show is brought to you in part by MyBookie. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you can choose any game and call it? Well, MyBookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, the NBA, and college basketball, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. And if you're tired of watching games from the couch with nothing to gain, MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back on that game. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just enter promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Uh, we can move on, though, to why don't we talk about the guy who was who kind of did well in the last game, uh, Damian Dotson. I don't have too much to say about Dot because I feel like we've said a number of these things before, but I just think that he's a guy that every time he comes in does well and plays good team basketball is actually, I think, an underrated ball handler at this point. 
uh, because he's shown definitely the ability to run at least, uh, you know, an efficient pick and roll and stuff like that. And I think it would definitely be in the Knicks' best interest to keep Dotson around as a rotation piece for the future, for now and beyond. Because I, I know he's kind of old in terms of a quote-unquote young player. He's 25 years old, but so is Kadeem Allen. Kadeem Allen's 27. But those guys are young and NBA experience, and I, I think that Dotson is one of those guys that I just never find myself being like, oh, Dotson's no good. They should get rid of him. They should just let him go, whatever. Every time I see Dotson play, my my only thought is, like, they should keep him and they should, you know, just continue investing in him as a solid role player that can come off the bench and defend and shoot the three and, you know, occasionally handle the ball for you. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I think he's – I mean, he's shown himself now over a two-year sample size to clearly be a plus shooter. I don't know if there's – a lot more there than that. I, I was hoping that as he kind of hit his prime athletically, and he's, he's right about there at age 25, um, he would show himself to be a little bit of a better defender. Um, I, I know he, um, I, I was also kind of hoping that he would be a bit more consistent as a shooter because his form always looks really good. And I kind of understand why his two point percentage is low because most of his shots come from mid range, but his three-pointer um, has been a little bit disappointing, just 32% from there this season. And, again, it's a small sample size because his playing has fluctuated so much. Like, I would assume he hasn't taken more than, like, 53s all year long. Uh, so I guess I'm, I don't really have a strong opinion about on him. I wouldn't be, like, heartbroken if they moved on from him. Like, I think he gets a little bit of a bump in terms of how we view him as a prospect just relative to, like, the lack of overall talent on this team. And yeah, I'm looking right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's taken 100 threes this year. So still relatively small sample size, but I, I was hoping he'd be shooting it a little bit better. So I guess I, and this, this sucks to say on a podcast, but I don't really have strong feelings about Damian Dotson uh, one way or another, um, though he certainly fits the archetype of a player that the Knicks need. A guy who's sort of there right now is Reggie Bullock. And um, even though he's been maybe like over the last couple of games, and I think it's just because like Marcus Morris has been missing like a little bit more shot happy than you're than you'd like, and maybe maybe could have could do with a little bit more of a judicious uh, shot selection process. Uh, he's he's good. He can he can really shoot in a, in a way that I think no one on this roster other than Wayne Ellington really can. And at this point, he's younger and he's a better overall athlete than Wayne Ellington, and he's uh, better equipped to get more wide-open shots. So to, to me, he's like he's maybe in like the five or six guys on this team that I would want to keep regardless of everything else, which sounds weird to say for someone who's only played, I think, six games now as a Nick, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in him being a long-term piece for this team, and, and especially for the next two years where he they really got him on a big discount because of that uh, back surgery. Yeah, yeah, I... I agree. I uh, I would definitely not mind keeping him. I also, like, if they got rid of him, I would not be super heartbroken either, I guess. I, I'm in kind of a weird place with him. I think they definitely should keep him through this season, though. And just, you know, I, I almost feel like it would be irresponsible to trade him, you know, by February with only, like, a month's worth of games under his belt because I think that he actually has a ton to offer as far as, you know, potentially boosting up his trade value into next year on a super value contract. Um, so 
you know, I, I would, or into the off season even, I should say. So I would hold on to him, and I think that he is a guy that could potentially just be around here for a long time. Hopefully, uh, you know, he's on the value deal this year and next year. I think he only makes like four million dollars next year. Made about three and a half this year after everything got restructured when you know they found out about his back injury and wound up signing Marcus Morris. And I don't know. I uh, I think yeah. I just I I would probably keep him. But if the right offer came along and someone was willing to give up something crazy for him in a trade, like a legitimately kind of good young player with, you know, some real potential or like, you know, a a late first round pick or something like similar to like the Marcus Morris trade package, I guess, maybe like a little less than that, obviously, because he's not nearly the caliber player that Morris is. But I would I would definitely listen to any offer and take anything that I I figured to be a, you know, a plus deal for the Knicks, but I also wouldn't be running to trade him or like making calls around the league, just trying to push him off on other teams because he's, he's definitely worth keeping around, plays good defense when he's engaged, uh, shoots the three. Well, isn't too aggressive when he's not being asked to be, like you said, the last couple games kind of notwithstanding because I think he was trying a little too hard to fill the void, but very, very good player. Takes me to the next guy though, who's kind of a similar player, to Bullock in general, uh, Wayne Ellington, who the Knicks signed, he's making a little bit more money. I think it's like $8 million per year, maybe even 10. It was an overpay, as most of the guys were in this offseason. Uh, long and the short of it is if Wayne Ellington can prove that he can shoot the ball, you know, at like a, whatever, like 38% clip over the next, you know, basically back at his career average over the next, you know, three weeks before the trade deadline, I would ship him out to the first team that offered me a second round pick for him just because I don't see him having a long-term future with the team. I don't think that he's entirely necessary to keep around as like a veteran leadership type of guy. And I think you should just extract whatever value you can get from him because chances are you're not going to exercise your team option this coming off season on him and keep him around for next season. And he's probably just going to walk and go to some other team. No, I'm in total agreement to Alex, and I kind of want to go over a guy who I see being around a little bit more long-term, and that is Iggy Brazdakis, who came in the other night against the Jazz, um, I thought had a couple of really good sequences. I think we touched on that a little bit in uh, part one of this podcast. And I don't, I like his game and I just, I want to see if it translates to bigger minutes. Like obviously like any rookie's going to have his struggles, but like, can he defend at an NBA level um, in, in a real game? That's not a blowout. Can he score with some modicum of efficiency? Because I sort of like the outline of the player that's there. And in some ways I think a lot of his skills are needed. Like not that he necessarily profiles as an elite shooter, but if he's even a plus shooter, that's someone who belongs in the rotation long term. And the fact that um, unlike someone like Reggie Bullock, it looks like he has a little bit of a pump and drive game, kind of similar to Dot, but maybe um, being a little bit bigger, being a little bit more built, he, he eventually is better in that respect. I, I think there's upside for him to be a pretty good option around the Knicks long term core of R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. It, it's just kind of hard to tell right now because we haven't really seen him against NBA competition for any significant sample size. Yeah, what's good, though, is that he's getting a lot of opportunity down in the G League 
to kind of hone his craft. Um, but yeah, the, the brief sample we saw the other day was really good. I mean, he's, he's very, uh, like, I don't know. He, he's like weirdly fluid for someone that looks like they have no fluidity to their game. And I liked him as a scorer dating back to summer league. And I think that he has potential to be kind of a three and D esque guy, but a guy who can actually put it on the floor a little bit too. And, and, you know, make the right reads and, you know, make kickouts out of his drives and stuff like that. Um, I don't think he's a super athlete or anything, but it looks like he gives 100% all the time, and that's really all you can ask of pretty much any player in the league. So I, I like I like the potential for Iggy. I think, I think to your point, yeah, I, I think, like, if he develops properly, there's a chance he could be a core piece for a long time. You know what I just randomly thought of? Like, off the top of my head, I don't know, I don't know why this – thought just came to me imagine if you could like mix Iggy's like mindset and motor and everything with Knox's physical tools would we be talking about like a definite surefire piece on the Knicks right now yeah I mean that's he basically plays the way that I want Knox to play just with the like level of savvy and like and like all the little subtle fakes in his game and and just the nuances that I mean, Knox doesn't have. I mean, I think you could say the same thing about R.J. Barrett, too. Like, whichever one of those two you want to apply to Knox, I, I think would, would make a whole lot of sense and, and would turn him into, I mean, one of, like, the better wing prospects in basketball because it, it's weird in some way. I know, I know, like, someone – I know I'm taking the conversation in a different direction because even though someone like R.J. is a monster athlete, like, he doesn't have the frame that Knox has, and I don't think he – and this sounds weird because I know his numbers are much better, but I think Knox is a little bit more of a natural shooter – than RJ is. So it's one of those things if you could just combine the best of all of them, you, you'd get a pretty good player. Unfortunately for the Knicks, um, they almost, and, and I, maybe you'll give me a little bit of pushback on this. They almost could have drafted the guy who did have all those qualities in Michael Porter Jr. and they decided to take Knox ahead of him. Though obviously RJ does some stuff passing that Porter can't, but it, it just, it's interesting in an alternate world where, where they had taken Porter. I think you'd, you'd sort of have the outline of the guy you're talking about. Yeah, I don't think I, it would have been a really tough sell to take Porter though, because like he had to sit all of last year. His injury situation is always going to be something to worry about. Like I can understand getting kind of caught in the moment right now because Porter's put up a few good games like to start his career, but ultimately I don't, I, I mean, I'll need to see that he can stay healthy for extended periods of time because his whole career He's kind of dealt with that and his whole family. I mean, it's weird. You don't want to like classify someone based off their family or whatever, but the whole Porter family cannot stay healthy. Like they've all torn their ACLs multiple times. Like, you know, they've all had all these injuries that are like his brother, Jante was going to be a good, like probably lottery bound NBA prospect as well as him. And probably could have come out the same year as him and went back to school and then tours ACL. And then like, now, as far as I know, I, I think he's back at school. I don't think that he actually went for the draft last year. Um, yeah, but, like, is. yeah, but, like, his career has been, like, kind of derailed by injuries. Like, I I don't know. It's weird. Not to turn this into a Michael Porter Jr. discussion, but I I also think the Knicks would have just caught endless, endless, endless crap last year for taking a guy that was going to be injured all season and yeah. – maybe wouldn't have even gotten the same payoff this year because he would have come back under Fizdale. 
which he wouldn't have looked nearly as good under Vizdale as he does in a real system in Denver with uh, Malone. So, yeah, it, that's a whole thing. It's a fair but, point. I, yeah. I, I was just, the reason I got into that is because I had, like, that same debate with, like, I can't remember who, someone on Twitter was pushing back on that, which, and it's, like, it's certainly, like, a reasonable argument. Like, my thinking at the time and, I mean, through today is, like, I'd rather take a risk on, like, injury when I'm, fairly sure the guy is going to be really, really good when healthy, then, and I mean, again, not that, like, obviously, like, it would be absurd to say, like, I, like, people knew, like, Knox was going to be a bust, and, like, I was literally the guy who was saying he was the most likely person on this team to be an all-star this year, so it'd be hypocritical to just, like, be totally revisionist and say, all right, well, we all knew, like, that he, he sucked, but, like, I'd almost prefer that to, like, a project, and I guess, I guess my point is, like, everyone you draft, is a risk for one reason or another. Like, in, injury isn't the only risk when, when you take a draft, and Knox was far from a sure thing when the Knicks took him, but that's a completely different conversation, and I, I can't believe I got us that sidetrack because Iggy Brasdakis is worth talking about in and of itself. I guess the follow-up question with him, at, at what point this year, if ever, do you see him playing a significant role in the rotation, or do you think that's not something until that comes until he gets another offseason of development? No, it's going to happen. If the Knicks, if the Knicks actually make the trades and, you know, get rid of some guys and clear up playing time in that way, then you'll start seeing Iggy more towards the end of the season. Or even if, even if the Knicks, like, don't trade some of these guys, you're going to see them start resting some guys down the stretch, I think, because, you know, it's going to be like a lot of these guys are on one year deals. A lot of them, they're probably going to turn down, you know, the second year option and they're not going to want to, like, leave them out there for the potential of injury, you know, when there's already enough film from them this season that they can get a new deal in the off season. Like it'll be kind of similar to what they did with DeAndre Jordan last year where they kind of like towards the end of the season, they just started DNPing him just to be like, all right, like, you know, we need to just play all the kids now. And, you know, there's no point in playing you and we'll leave you healthy so you can chase a new deal, which is actually like doing a favor to the player at that point. I think, yeah, by March or whatever, like, we'll definitely see some playing time for him, regardless of who gets traded or who doesn't get traded or whatever. We'll, we'll start seeing some more playing time for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, uh, last guy who we haven't touched on is uh, a little a little bit of a tougher conversation, Alonzo Trier, who, I mean, by and large, was so spectacular last season. I had really high expectations for him this season. I mean, I think I remember when we were making – our bold preseason predictions, one of mine was that over the first half of the year, like pre-All-Star breaks, I guess a little more than the first half of the year, he would average like less than 20 minutes a game. And then the, the scenario you described would happen and he would he would get into the rotation and put up somewhere around 20 over the last uh, 20 or so games, which I guess is, is technically still in play, but it's, it's not looking very likely at the moment because Trier doesn't have a bigger role under Mike Miller than what he had under David Fisdale, which is interesting to me because it's it's more indicative that the problem is with Trier himself than like Fisdale's like crazy weird rotations that weren't always based in logic. But where, where are you at on him right now? And do you think there's any future for him with the Knicks at this point? <laughs> no, I have a pretty simple answer to this. I think they should just trade him at this point get whatever you can, get a second round pick or something. Um, Mostly because, like, I don't want to be tasked with, like, I, I think no matter what, he's gone at the end of this season. Let's put it that way. I think because he's going to be a free agent, and the Knicks will have early bird rights on him, and they'll have restrictive free agent rights. But based off how things have gone, I can't imagine that they're going to match a deal for him or something or 
or try to re-sign him in any way. So I would just trade him at this point. If you can get a second-round pick from some team that thinks like, oh, look at what he's been able to do so far with scoring off the bench, take advantage of that, take some, you know, take a pick off somebody and and just call it a day because I don't think that he's it, it. I don't know. I just don't think he's worth keeping around at this point. Like. I know that you and I were both really high on him coming into the season. I thought that he was going to um, – I was hoping that he was going to turn a corner and become more like a spot-up player and stuff, but that just doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like the only gear that he has is being an ISO player and coming in and essentially taking over the offense and making it about getting his own shot and stuff, and I'm just not into that anymore. I'm like, well, this was cute your rookie year when, you know, we – didn't have anybody on the team that could do anything. But when you come in here now and there's actually players that can play and, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times now, especially under Miller, this team actually plays, you know, somewhat cohesively. I, uh, I just don't think that there's a place for him here anymore. So I would just trade him. So to shortly answer your question, no, I don't think he has any future on the Knicks. And even if they don't trade him, I still don't think he has any future on the Knicks. I think he's gone after this off season. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can't, I, I, want, I want to push back on that, but I, I just, I mean, nothing we've seen this year really allows me to. I mean, the only thing I'll say is, I mean, you, you look at his, his shooting numbers and it's it's clear, like, what a talented scorer he is. I'm just, and and when he comes in, like, I think he's he's at times played a little bit more unselfishly and with, like, a little bit less than tunnel vision. Like, what's, what, what's bigger than a tunnel? Can we say, like, uh... I don't know, aquarium vision, like he's in a tank. I'm not sure. Um, I'll come. Like people, people tweeted us what's better than tunnel vision, but, uh, he just, he hasn't rounded out his game the way that I hoped. And I just, I kind of get from Miller's perspective, he looks at Trier and he's like, I don't know if this guy fits into a team construct, which is interesting because I think coming out of college, it's not like, I don't think his mentality was the number one concern about him. Like people just didn't think he was really athletic enough was my gauge of it to fit in the NBA. But now I'm starting to think it was maybe more personality based because I mean, you watch him play and like, he's like, I would say he's, he's arguably still like, if you don't count RJ, like the most explosive guard on the team in terms of like winning off the dribble, getting to the basket. And he's the best shooter of all the guards. So you look at those two things and you say, how does that guy not have some kind of, significant role again outside of Reggie Bullock I'll, I'll qualify that and maybe Ellington um it's it just it's stunning to me and I guess it I guess it comes down to just like how he plays the game and then you look at some of the off the court stuff and Alex I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast but I mean you, you can look at his Twitter and he's literally like liking anti RJ Barrett tweets like unless I got fooled by like a photoshop or something I, I've seen that happen multiple times now and it's just it's weird and especially from a guy who's like 23, 24 instead of a 19 year old, like it, it's, he, he's almost his own worst enemy. It feels like, and that's, it's tough to see, but I almost, I could see him going to a good team and, and having a role on a playoff team as a six man right now, because I think he's that good of a scorer. Yeah. I don't know about being a, having a role on a playoff team. Uh, I think sometimes he's that good of a scorer, but the problem is, is that he's, I think he's kind of a stat chaser is my, overall like read on him at this point I think that he's just kind of out there to get his and that's about it maybe that's a product of just being on the Knicks and you know he's struggling for playing time so when he gets out there all he's concerned with is proving that he belongs being out there Uh, maybe there's some likes to that or whatever but like to your point yeah like he doesn't conduct himself well on social media and stuff either 
And as a result, like it makes me question his maturity and his ability to get better and stuff like that. So like I said, that's why I'm just kind of, it, it's been a total 180. Like before the season, if you would have told me this was going to be my stance, I would have been like, Oh, what the hell happened? You know? <laughs> and, but it's where I'm at. I'm just like, just cut bait with him at this point. You know, like if you get rid of him, you can, you can then bring up someone from the G league or something like do give Kadeem Allen his roster spot full time, move Lamar Peters into the other uh, two way spot or something, or like, you know, sign Kenny Wooten to the main roster. Like if you just get rid of Trier, you can give it to any one of a number of young players with, you know, potential to be role players rather than, Guy, you know, a guy that seems to think that he's like he has the potential to be a star in the league that probably doesn't because of like his overall mindset and all that. But I don't know. I mean, so. All right. Well, let's let's ask the question then. Do you think because we're kind of trying to frame this as like, do you think the Knicks have any solutions on the team right now that could be with the team, you know, for the future? Do you think that the Knicks have? I mean, I think we could comfortably say that we both think RJ, yes, is, you know, worthy of one of the two wing spots for sure. Do you think the Knicks have a second wing player on the team that could be a wing player for them long term, even in a time where they end up getting better? Um, I mean, I, I guess it, it depends on the role. Like, I think Iggy, like, should, could and should probably be a bench guy. Long term, if if he's as good as I think he is, based on a very small sample size, um, and yeah, he's really the only one I feel any sense of certainty about, and it kind of breaks my heart that like Knox hasn't developed to a point where I'm like, yeah, he's obviously he's going to be the guy next to RJ for the next uh, ten to twelve years if everything goes right. And I just I don't I don't feel that way anymore. What about you? Yeah, I uh, I definitely I think that Iggy could develop into something. So I, I do have pretty high hopes for him. I think Bullock could potentially stick around with the team for a while. Um, yeah. I, you know, he's 28 years old. Like, I think he's, he's like in his prime now, I would say, you know, as far as, his, as far as his basketball abilities and stuff. But I think that there's a good chance, like the Knicks will definitely pick up his option for next year if they keep him and don't trade him. And then beyond that, they may even be able to re-sign him in the summer of 2021 and hopefully keep him around as kind of a steadying veteran for a while. Um, so he's one guy that I think definitely has a future. Knox, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's TBD. I mean, I haven't totally given up on him yet. I, I wouldn't even say I'm close to totally giving up on him yet, but I also don't have the, as nearly as much confidence as I used to in him anymore. So he's going to need to start turning things in a different direction soon. But, you know, also with the caveat that he's only 20 years old and only in his second year, and we always kind of knew he was going to be a project. So it's it's a tough read. But I certainly – I think that Knox has a place on this team on his rookie contract for sure all the way through. Uh, like I wouldn't sell low on him just to get him off the team or something because I actually do think he has a good attitude and seems like a nice teammate and everything else. Yeah. Um, Wayne Ellington, I would trade. I already said that. Trier, I would trade. Dotson, I feel pretty confident in keeping around for – he's going to be a free agent this offseason. I would try to sign him to a relatively um, affordable contract and keep him as a bench piece because I think that he could actually be a contributor on this team, whether the team is good or bad. I, I just think that he's a contributor, period. So I do think he's a good piece. Marcus Morris, I mean, we were split on, but, I, I mean – 
if the Knicks keep him past the deadline, I definitely want them to re-sign him in the summer. And I hope that that comes to fruition. If he leaves for nothing, that would be really disappointing. So, you know, if they keep him, I hope that he resigns. And I could see him being kind of a veteran leader for a few years during the transition period of this team from being like a young team to being hopefully an experienced team that actually learns together and can grow into something better. Um, and then, as I said, Trier, ship him out. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's like all of them. So... I, to answer it, I think that there's uh, there's actually, I think, a number of guys on the team that could be with the team longer term and potentially be here when they get good again, or at least better. Um, I don't know if any of them other than RJ, uh, or and maybe like Iggy and Dotson, I'm not sure if any of them would be here longer than like three or four years, but like for the Knicks, that's a pretty damn long time. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's an eternity. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I said it initially, but I'm to- totally with you on Morris. And uh, same with Doc. All right, uh, let's let's get into the uh, big men, and why not start with the highest paid of the group, uh, Julius Randle, who's interesting because I mean, you know, I was I, I never really wanted him on the Knicks. I was ready to ship him off from day one. Um, what we saw under David Fisdale, like further entrenched <laughs> uh, myself in that opinion, and uh, really locked it in. And then and then he played exceptionally well over the first thirteen or fourteen games under Miller. Um, hit a rough patch the last five or six, but you see what he can be at his best with a good coach in a functional offense. And the, the one issue with Randall that I will always continue to have is if your two highest priorities are RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. And I mean, I don't see outside of obviously like whoever they draft this year should immediately slot into that spot unless they totally blow the pick. Um, I, I just think the other three guys on the floor have to be really good shooters. And Randall is not that. I know he flashed it over 13 or so games, but and we, we've gone back and forth on this. But I, I just I don't think he's even an average shooter. I think he tops out as, as a guy who, over a large sample size, isn't going to hit more than 33 or 34 percent of his threes. And I, I just I don't think that's good enough. If, if your star wing isn't projected to be an above average three point shooter, that could change. RJ's still really young, but right now that's what we think of him. And you have a center who is excellent in a lot of ways, but isn't going to be someone who ever really spaces the floor from three. And I know Mitch has a decent touch from the free throw line, and maybe, maybe, maybe like six, seven years in the league, that's something he can fully incorporate into his game. As of now, I don't think that's a possibility. So for for all for all that being said, I, I honestly, even though he's played great at points this year, and I don't think it's his fault, I, I don't really see Randall as a long-term pick. But I have a feeling you're probably going to disagree or at least push back on that a little, Alex. Well, I think Randall. I don't. I don't necessarily think that he's a long-term guy. In the fact that, like, he could be the Knicks' best or anywhere close to their best player when they're good. But I think that he could be a fine sort of like in the same way that Morris sort of is this year. I think he can be sort of a fine like, you know, fill-in level star player. You know, like like he could certainly he certainly has the right like, mindset to absorb being a star player for a little while. You know what I mean? Like, and he's kind of already proved that this year. Like, even during the Fisdale time when he was really being driven into the ground, he never wavered and was good. So I I think if he's coached right, he could be a good player, and I think we've seen that under Miller. Like, as you mentioned, he's had kind of a rough patch lately, but, you know, every player has rough patches. He's not a legitimate, like, star player he's a you know he's a very good player you know I'd say he's above average but he's but he's just not 
he's not like a great player that's going to give you that fantastic output every single night and be efficient every single night and all that stuff. But honestly, even some of the best players in the league aren't efficient every single night. I think it's just more noticeable with Randall because he, he like he's not surrounded by as many good players as, you know, other like mid-level, you know, good players in the league. So anyway, to answer the question, like I, I could see him maybe sticking around here long term. Um, I, he, he's definitely, I mean, he's here for two years, no matter what, like he's, unless they trade him or whatever, but you know, he's here this year and next year, more than likely, maybe they'll trade him next year by the deadline. If some team feels like he could put them over the top. And if that happens, then more power to them. You know, that, that would be a fine trade by me. I wouldn't be heartbroken over losing him, but like, I could also potentially, depending on how things go then with drafting and, you know, what the prospects are in that big 2021 free agent class, you know, if the Knicks find themselves in a place where they're like, okay, the rebuild's still kind of going, we're not going to land a star in 2021, I could see them maybe picking up the third third year option on Randall's deal or giving him another deal that's like a two plus one or something like that again, and just kind of rolling with him for a while because... I think he's, you know, hopefully you'd want other players to surpass him. But like I said, he's good enough to be kind of like a lightning rod, you know, for now and just be like the the face of the team or whatever and, you know, take the shots that need to be taken and, and all that jazz. So I don't think he's a perfect solution. I do think his three-point shooting is better than the number that he's put up this year so far. He's, he's at about 28.5% right now. I think it's I think his real number is a little lower than when he was on that hot streak, but I think he will realistically for the rest of the season probably shoot about thirty five percent from three, which is pretty good for a big. I mean if you consider if you consider like Porzingis, for example, who the Knicks used to have and had a rep as a like three point sharpshooter, he has only shot like thirty three, thirty four percent most years of his career. And, but, you know, because of his reputation as a shooting guy, you know, that was kind of good enough. So if Randall can shoot 35%, I think that would be more than fine as far as spacing, like you said. And I think he can probably hit that number for the rest of this year. Well, I, I just, I want to point out, I, I think, oh, sorry, my dog is uh, losing his mind in his sleep in the uh, background. Um, no, it's okay. I, I, he's, he yeah. clearly agrees with my take. Yeah, no, he's, it's he's obvious. actually. He's a big Randall fan. I mean, that's, we've gotten into a, a lot of heated arguments about it. Uh, I, I would, my only pushback on that is I think the difference between Porzingis and a guy like Randall is Porzingis makes a substantial difference shooting that number because he's shooting it under fairly tight coverage and is respected as a shooter. And I, that it just, it, it's, that's different than Randall like hitting 35%, which I mean, he hasn't done yet, but if he does, of relatively wide open threes that defenses are pretty content to give him. And I mean, you see the way even under Mil- 30, he, he shot 36% from three last year for what it's worth. So he has done that over a whole season. Sure. But again, that's on like, that's or, sorry, 30, 34 and a half percent. Sorry. My okay. But uh, yeah, no worries. Um, my, my point was that's for a guy who was given wide open threes, sort of like you see with Rajon Rondo in the latter half of his career because nobody thinks he's a shooter. And if Randall taking an open three is generally a positive result for a defense or at least defenses perceive it that way it completely changes the amount of space everyone else has to operate on offense which I mean for my money like the Knicks would almost and and I know this sounds sacrilegious given how good like Randall's been recently like I I would almost 
I'd almost think they'd be better off with like, I'm trying to think of like the right player and I can't necessarily get to him, but like someone who's just sort of like a traditional like stretch forward, like even if they don't have like Randall's overall talent, because I think, and, and it's a hard thing, like it took me like a long time to like wrap my head around this, but I think it's right. And I think it's what you hear from most NBA coaches. Like shooting is such an overwhelmingly important skill. It makes up for deficiencies in a lot of different areas like it, it was interesting like I was having this conversation with my friend the other day and I know people um love when uh I, I talk about my own basketball experience and related to NBA players because those things are totally comparable and I was saying like you know like you're like objectively like a much better basketball player than me but when we play pickup like you usually play um or at least how I play is like twos and ones and like I'm I'm like a better shooter than this person even though they're better at every other skill on the court than I am and I'm like but I'm probably more valuable than you because like I'm I'm making shots that are literally worth twice as much as the ones that you're hitting at a higher rate so it's it's a flawed comparison and I'm probably oversimplifying it and dragging this conversation out too long but my point is I, I think Randall's deficiencies as a shooter and the fact that like it takes him being wide open to have some modicum of efficiency and defenses want him to take that shot. Um, I, I just don't think he's a good fit next to Barrett and Robinson. I know you're not saying like he, he's the guy long term there and that the Knicks are going to win a title with him. But I, my point is I would get off him as soon as possible. And I, I still think they'd be a better team having Marcus Morris at the four, Mitch at the five, Reggie Bullock at the three, Nilakin at the one, RJ playing the or, or RJ and Bullock uh, switching at the two and the three and that being their starting lineup than whatever Randall's doing. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that either because I certainly love Marcus Morris too if they're able to keep him around. Um, let's move on though to Bobby Portis, yeah. who's, uh, great to talk about. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty short and sweet on this one too. I don't really like Bobby's game and I think that he hijacks things a little too often. And I, if there, if there's truth to the rumors that, like the Knicks have some potential trade offers on the table for him. I would just like sift through them, find the best one and send him to wherever <laughs> at this point. Cause I don't want him. I don't know. I, I don't like how he plays basketball. Like he's, I think at his best, he's okay. He, you know, when he gets really hot shooting, he gets like really hot shooting and it can potentially take over a game. But when he's not, really hot shooting, he hijacks and misses shots, and then he's not making up for it in any other ways. He's not a good passer. Um, he does not play defense at all, other than to smack guys on the side of the head while they're going for layups, apparently. And uh, I just don't want him, so I'd rather, like, just get rid of him. Like, if there's any potential, you know, deal out there for him, trade him and don't look back. That's basically where I'm at with him. And so in the scope of the show, I don't, I don't see any long-term role for him on this team. And it, if he makes it through the trade deadline unscathed, I am absolutely turning down his option for next year and absolutely not bringing him back. Like that's, that's my stance on it. I think. Yeah. I, we, we can move right on. That, that's all the conversation I need to have about Bobby Portis. Um, let, let, let's save Mitch for our last uh, Taj Gibson. A guy who uh, started off the season, I was, I mean, I made it very clear in this podcast, like, I was a big fan of him. Like, I was mystified that David Fisdale didn't play him more, and I thought he did all of the of the little things that um, a lot of the other guys on the roster didn't necessarily do to win. Um, under Miller, where some of those things get done by structure instead of a player, 
Um, I think Gibson becomes less valuable and the stats, um, I, I back that up to some degree. I mean, going into the, um, Lakers game, uh, the Knicks had a minus 22 rating, uh, per 100 possessions when Taj Gibson, uh, was on the floor. That means they were outscored by 22 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. Um, and you look at the stats across the board with Gibson and they were just putrid. They're the worst offense and the worst defense in the league. When he's on the court, they shoot 8% better when he's off the court. And I mean, all that adds up to me is that it's indicative of how good of a player Mitchell Robinson is and that Gibson is just a really poor fit with the starting lineup that already lacks for shooting and he can't really provide it without giving enough defensively to make up for that. So I guess, I guess my core point is I I like Gibson as a locker room presence. I, I just sort of wish the Knicks had a better option at center that sort of combined the best of what Portis and Gibson offer and really just someone who can like space the floor a little bit like I, I don't know even someone like Robin Lopez I, I who the Knicks obviously had a couple years ago it would be picture perfect in that spot but I think there's room to upgrade for whoever is playing behind Mitch and it's also indicative of the fact that Mitch if he can stay out of foul trouble and if they think from a health perspective it's an okay idea um should be playing 30 minutes a night yeah I um my thoughts on Gibson are basically okay. First off, the guy that you just described, I think, if if the Knicks could somehow, like, because Wayne Dedman wants out of out of Sacramento, if they could somehow turn Bobby Portis into Dwayne Dedman, and you know, basically for the Kings, it would just be getting off the the second year of money that Dedman's owed. But for the Knicks, it would be like you get Deadman for 13 million for the next 2 years and then he only has a 1 million dollar guarantee going into the 2021 offseason. I think that would be a great move for them because I think that he would be the perfect guy to either start or to back up Mitch. Um because I think that he offers a similar presence to what Mitch does out there. I don't think I've floated that idea on here before. I've definitely floated it like on Twitter and stuff that I like Deadman, but that would be the move to me. As far as Gibson's concerned, I think that like kind of like what you said, I like him. I, to me, he's almost like the new Lance Thomas. If Lance Thomas was actually somewhat decent still, like I actually think that Gibson still has something to offer this team, but I don't think his best fit is being out there as the starting center. I think that he would be fine to come in for some backup minutes or whatever, just like quick stints here and there. But yeah, like he he keeps getting consistently roasted by the other team's center because you're putting him out there against the best centers in the league. And Gibson wasn't even a center for most of his career. He's been a power forward. Like he's very undersized to guard centers. Like he's got the strength, but he does not have the length in the slightest to guard centers or the ups to make up for the lack of length. So, which is understandable because he's like, how old is he? He's 30. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I, um, I think, though, like, I, I would like to keep him around. I do think they pretty substantially overpaid him um, this offseason, which they kind of had to for everybody that they brought on. But if they reach this offseason and Gibson's like, oh, I kind of like it here, I'd like to resign, then I would resign him, but only after I declined his option for a second year at $10 million or whatever they paid him because he's not worth that much anymore. I would try to pay him, you know, four or five million dollars and maybe even lock him up to a two or three year deal to kind of see him through the end of his career. Cause I think that he is a very valuable locker room presence, it seems like, and just kind of the standard, like good vet that you want on the team. But 
just not worth nearly the amount that they're paying him and, you know, probably shouldn't even necessarily be playing quite as many minutes as they have him playing. So, Yeah, um, I'm with you. you. You summed it up perfectly. All right, uh, let's wrap this episode up. Um, unless I'm forgetting someone, I don't think I am, with Mitchell Robinson, who I also think this is a pretty short conversation because his place on this team is clear, and it's almost more so about what you think he can be. And I guess an interesting way to frame that question, Alex, and I'm just going to throw it right over to you because I I want some time to think about my answer. Um, You you can just take one guy off this Knicks roster uh, going forward who's still going to be on this team Five years from now, uh, do you go Mitch, R.J. Barrett, uh, someone else I'm not thinking of? Whew. Jeez. Yeah, uh, it, would, it would probably be Mitch, yeah. Um, probably Mitch and then R.J. And then, I mean, people are going to, like, rage at me for this one. But I would say Frank would be my third guy that I Same. would definitely – like, out of out of all – the whole team, those three guys are the three that I'm most passionate about keeping on the team because I really do think Frank is about to turn a corner – if Frank turns said corner and can start becoming a relatively efficient scorer, I would not hesitate to put him in the top, like in the top spot for who I would want to keep on the team, which is uh, bold. I know when you've got like Mitchell Robinson, who's played the way that he has, and RJ Barrett with the pedigree that he has and the the things that he's flashed. But I mean, Frank, if he continues, like if he could play like he did the other night where he scored the 16 points, if he can do that consistently, like on a regular basis and in big minutes, forget about it. I mean, I would I would absolutely keep him over anybody else on this team because he's the one guy that you know is going to give it on both ends every single night, which is rare. Um, Mitch, on the other hand. Category? Go ahead. Put, no, I just said you don't put Mitch in that category of like a two-way guy. Uh, no, I guess it's – but like Frank, how he looked the other day was a more complete player. You That's know right. what I mean? Like a guy that can score at different levels and can create for others and stuff like that. I, I shouldn't say he's the only guy that gives it all every night because I do think that Mitch does too. Unfortunately, I think Mitch gives it too much some nights, which is when he yeah. gets into foul trouble and stuff like that. Um, of course, Frank does as well. Frank still has his moments where he gets into foul trouble. I think it's it, like I definitely want those two. RJ, I think, also gives his all all the time as well, but I think that RJ is more prone to – I don't I don't even know what it is with him sometimes. You know, he's just prone to like not disappearing but like losing his confidence in some ways too. Like I he he looks pretty unflappable and all that, but the way that you know, he starts shooting the ball sometimes when he's in his slumps, like especially if he doesn't start the game well, you could just kind of tell that I don't know, he's still going through his motions, but it it just looks different. You know, it it just Maybe and maybe it's just me like not expecting the shot to go in then, but it always just seems like he kind of like at a certain point loses his mojo if he starts off badly. But anyway, yeah, I like to answer your question again. Like, if there's one guy that I could keep for sure, like forever on this team, it would be Mitch because I think that I think he's still a a game altering defensive presence. I think his offense has actually gotten better. In the last year, I think, you know, it's still roughly the same thing, but he's just become so dominant at the rim running and catching oops and, you know, offensive rebounding, I think, has gotten better in the last year with him. His rebounding in general, I think, is very underrated, and I think he's turning into already, like, one of the better rebounders in the league. And as far as, like, using his 
using his length well and, and all that. So I, uh, I think he's my number one guy until further notice. And then it would be followed closely or somewhat closely by RJ Barrett and Frank Delakina. But it's, it's those three. And then there's a pretty lengthy drop off before I get to anybody else. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and the one thing I'll add on Mitch before we wrap this one up is, I mean, there, there are still those, those flashes where you, you kind of, you, you kind of look at yourself and you're like, all right, how good can this guy be? And I mean, I go back to, um, the Clippers game where I can't remember who was guarding him. It might have been Montrez Harrell where, uh, Peyton gave him a l- good little pass on the short roll and Mitch had a step and he just took like two dribbles, got right to the rim and laid it in. And I, I think I remember we had this conversation, uh, last year and it's one that, uh, will probably only ever be had on, on a Knicks podcast, but we were saying like, all right, like, like athletically, like he, he is, he's kind of, Anthony Davis like and and the whole thing is like obviously he doesn't have Davis's sort of like freakish superhero origin story where he grew up as a six foot three guard and then like over one summer like grew like eight or nine inches and became like one of the greatest prospects of all time um but and because of that like I think he'll never have like the like ball handling skills or the shooting that Davis has because that's just I mean sort of like a unique like literally once in a lifetime type of freak occurrence but if he can if he can get to some of that, like he has the length and athletic ability to be so much more offensively than he is right now. Because I mean, what we're seeing right now is I mean, like you look at like how he changes the game when he comes into it for the Knicks, like this is gonna sound like crazy to some people, but I think he's really had like just a notch below all star level production under Mike Miller and like clearly to get to a spot where you're an all star, you have to be able to do it for 36 minutes on a night to night basis. But if, if you just go by like plus minus and like how he affects the team, there are very few guys in the Eastern conference. And really the list in the whole league, isn't that long of, of guys who change the game the way he does on both ends. And that's as a second year player at the age of 21 who didn't play college basketball so I, I still think people, and it's understandable after you got off to such a slow start this year, because like I was, I was a little bit less bullish on his upside, but I, I think around the league, people underrate what this guy can be. I still think we're looking at a superstar with him potentially if he, if he hits his ceiling. And I don't know. I mean, to take it back to my initial question, I, again, I, I don't think RJ quite has that upside unless his shooting takes a totally unexpected jump. Um, I really think Mitch does. And, and, and to me, that's what makes him the most essential guy in this team going forward. And I don't think it's particularly close, honestly. Yeah, I mean, to your point about not necessarily seeing it with RJ, the more the season goes on, I, I think, and I mentioned this, you know, when we talked about him, but I, I think that he's a star, maybe not the star. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's definitely, he definitely has the potential to be a star in the league. I don't know if he's yeah. going to be number one option, you know, superstar type guy. Like a guy that can make all-star appearances while not necessarily being the number one guy on your team, but maybe the most essential guy on your team as long as you can get him a good, like, number one player, ball handler, you know, primary scorer type. Mitch is always going to, you know, be able to thrive with someone like that, I think. And maybe RJ can become that, maybe not, but we'll see. But I, I do think that, like, if you look at the three guys that we just mentioned together, I think their fit long-term is going to be phenomenal if you can eventually surround them with the right pieces um, and if they develop the way that we think that they can develop. I think if you can 
I think if you could build around Frank Nilakina, R.J. Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson, like those three guys alone might actually give you a chance to have a young core that's like, like an actual young core that is worth building around and seeing grow into something better. Yep. I'm, I'm in total agreement. And um, unless you have anything to add, Alex, I think we can, we can wrap up this uh, part two right there. Yeah, I think uh, we're good to go. So that's it for today. And uh, we will be back potentially tomorrow, but I, I'm actually covering the game at the garden tonight for sports illustrated uh, against the Pelicans. And then I'm actually going to be at the game on Sunday as a fan <laughs> against the heat. So uh, potentially we'll come back tomorrow with a podcast, or we may just wait and recap both games for you guys on Monday. Either way, uh, enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you soon.